Hi there, I'm Chrissy Regan and I'm joined today by the wonderful Maria Hutchison. Hi Maria. Hi Chrissy. hi everyone. And we're going to talk today about our limiting beliefs and how childhood experiences shape our reality and what we can do to disrupt our patterns of behaviour that are keeping us stuck. But before we do that, shall we talk about how we met and a little bit about who you are? Sure. So um, you and I met in March. You came to my retreat as a participant. Um, but when I heard that you were an author, I did a little bit of stalking. And I stalked into your background and I saw, who's this amazing person coming to my retreat? She should be running it for me and I can take a holiday. <laughs> so um, your CV is so impressive. You've got lots of certificates and um, diplomas and practitioner labels after your name. Um, but you kind of came to those a bit later on in your life, say in your late 30s and 40s after having a successful career beforehand. Um, but, you know, I just want to give people an insight. You're an accredited life coach, addiction counsellor, trainer, facilitator, and you work with individuals and groups to help with kind of transformation, healing and trauma. And so what else would you like to say about that, Maria? Um, well, that sounds about what I do. Um, <laughs> I think um, a, a big part of it is, is, like you said, it's about who who I am and, and mostly who I am is, is being created by my life experience. So, um, and, and I often say that is that the, the biggest asset I have is, um, is my life story um, and what I've, what I've been through and I, and I choose to, to look at that rather than really the, the qualifications. I, I think it's like anyone can have a whole lot of qualifications on the wall, but if you haven't got it, you haven't got it. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I guess that's where I'd where I'd put myself. Well, it's sad in a way, isn't it, that lived experience is the best way to help others. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I sat on my bed on Saturday afternoon and I read your book, Facing Maria. And I have to say that I have a bit of a mum crush on you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I just thought this is such an awesome book, and you know, we'll talk a bit about the abuse that you suffered as a childhood, but. I know for a fact that, you know, as much as one in four women suffer abuse, sexual, physical, emotional abuse throughout their life. And in some cases, the ratio of that is even higher. So when I'm in a room full of people or sitting at lunch or in a circle of women, I know that every fourth person is someone just like me who may or may not have suffered abuse. And the statistics around that are absolutely staggering. And I would love for everyone who's been abused in their life to read your book. So I'm your new super fan, by the way. I hope you don't mind a stalky Chrissy super fan. But I think this book is so helpful because it is really simple to read and you've written it so well. And it's so succinct in how it describes the impact of trauma and the impact of abuse um, and the impact of um, you know, how we then go on abusing ourselves throughout life and then what we need to do to kind of change that. So, you know, really well done and congratulations on this book. And I'm going to share the shit out of it because I think lots more people in the world need to read this. Probably one in four people need to read this. So thank you very much for writing it. Thank you. How was the experience for you of doing that? Because I know when I was writing my book, it's a very emotional experience to write a book. So how did you find it? Um, it, it was incredibly, um, obviously the healing is, is really about in the, the, the therapies and the writing of it. Um, but I, 
I had a, a vision, I guess, when I first started doing um, my work on, on the sexual abuse and I was given a book and it was like 600 pages long and it was just facts and figures. And, and right from then, I was only 18, 19 back then. And, and I said, I want something that is easy to read and I want something that can be, and my view was in people's school bags, so that it wasn't, um, and, and really I just wanted to give people hope rather than statistics, because I remember being so overwhelmed by it. Um, so that's kind of where it came from, and, and really, it, um, so that the therapy was wasn't doing it, and, and obviously you can, um, and, and the work that goes in behind it, so yeah, and it, like, I was 41, I think I'd just done my, um, eat, pray, love, I called it. I stopped work for 90 days and um, was finding myself and who I wanted to become. And um, and the book sort of came out of that. So, yeah. Good for you. Great. Well, I made lots of notes in my journal. When I oh, started, <laughs> after page three, I thought, crap, I better write some stuff down. There's too many good things here. So I wrote for myself several pages of notes. And some of those aha and insights will kind of come up as we're chatting now. Um, yeah. but I, I wanted to kind of lead in with some questions <clears throat> and we'll talk a bit more about the abuse later. So the purpose of today is kind of to chat about our limiting beliefs because that's a strong theme throughout your book. But now in your work in counselling and helping others, can you describe for me some of the most common limiting beliefs you encounter? Certainly. I, I think with the hundreds of people that I've worked with, predominantly um, addicts, um, more recently in the last seven years I've been working in addiction um, but having said that with the coaching that I've done with whether they're CEOs whether they are um, mothers or whatever I, I would suggest that the the most common limiting belief we have uh, across society is that I'm not worthy um, and, and and I think realistically we, we're born into a society and, and possibly even um, that fundamentalist uh, Christian belief that we certainly have in this western world that we're born unworthy uh, we're born sinners is kind of a, a belief and that we need to spend the rest of our lives proving ourselves worthy to a God that we won't see until the end um, and I know that it doesn't that's not how it necessarily manifests but that's kind of underpinning all it is even our justice system says prove your innocence so my suggestion and well my certainly my experience is that that I'm not worthy I'm not good enough I'm not skinny enough I'm not rich enough I'm I'm just not enough as I am um, and I think that's what limits us the most that's really interesting and I think that most of the people that I've coached in the last year would I would just agree with you wholeheartedly you know it's about that mm level of self-worth and that ability to feel good in their skin um, mm. which is really a shame for and I'm hoping that the younger generation don't have that but you mentioned in your book some um, well I have this one you know least said soonest mended you you know we talk about to be seen and not heard you know all of these kind of things were grown up that are indoctrinated in the back of our brain and and another lady that i interviewed earlier this year she called it her coding um so you know we get our coding and then we get our limiting beliefs and then there's plays a vicious cycle so it is really interesting and you kind of used and probably along with many other things 
you know, the power of affirmations to help you disrupt your limiting beliefs and ultimately free yourself from them. So how did you kind of discover that? Um, so with um, when I did my Pray Love, I did my coaching. I'd, I'd always been a fan of um, Louise Hay, who um, certainly brought affirmations to light, I think, and um, for us. What I, what I didn't understand, though, was the power of changing those beliefs. So I, I can say I am woman. I mean, every thought we have is an affirmation at the end of the day, um, whether it's positive or negative or, whether, or how it impacts us is, is different. You know, 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day, which are all affirmations. I am late. I am fat. I am, you know, whatever we're saying, everything we put I am in front of is an affirmation. So um, what I hadn't appreciated was the power of changing the limiting beliefs. I, I could stand and I could chant in the mirror, I am woman, but I already knew that I was a woman. What And, and so when I, working with affirmations was about working with them specifically to change the limiting beliefs. So if it didn't, if I, when I was saying my affirmations, if there wasn't a little voice in my head going bullshit, then I knew I wasn't changing anything so um and so that's what I had to work on was what are the beliefs and 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 really looking at it what was I creating some of my affirmations were about creating new things some were about destroying um, and some were about sustaining so um to destroy an old limiting belief then it had you have to be able to say I am wonderful and a little voice in your head goes bullshit and um, and that's when you know that you're actually making significant change. Um, so that's that that was my experience. And and look, somewhere along the line, I told myself that I wasn't good enough, and I told myself that so often that I started to believe it. So part of my transformation was telling myself that I was good enough, and I told myself enough that I started believing it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because even though you were successful professionally, deep down inside personally, you still didn't feel enough. And mm. how old were you when that revelation met, met its match? Do you see what I mean? Um, I think it's still happening. <laughs> I, it's interesting. Like I'm about 10,000 words into sort of another bit of a foray into a book about, you know, the cost of our unworthiness. And really what, what it's cost in terms of career, relationships, um, beauty, weight, all of those things. So I, I think it's an ongoing um, discovery, um, but I, I'm certainly not done yet. Yeah, and I, I felt that in your book, and I certainly put it at the end of mine, like, you know, this is a journey of self-discovery and it doesn't stop. And you're, the more you get to know yourself, the more you discover something else. And then you have your, your journey is never ending. And, you know, I liken the onion, we keep that brown shell intact. And when we start peeling back the layers, it's an ongoing process. And, you know, Definitely. each layer makes you cry a bit. <laughs> But hopefully at the middle, there's that soft, juicy bit that's, you know, not spicy and it's not going to harm us. Um, that's really beautiful. And I like the fact that at each end, the end of each chapter of your book, you kind of put the limiting, the limiting beliefs and the affirmations that you used. And I certainly know when I was trying to change some of my negative thinking or to disrupt my thinking patterns, I created my thinking interventions. So I would be running some new interventions to break old thinking cycles because 
I was an overthinker and a ruminator and I would just play on a loop all these big stories in my head all the time and now that I've learned to disrupt those I've become much more creative and better at problem solving and seeing the bigger picture but also picking and choosing what the limiting beliefs I want to have on any given day and what I want to say bullshit to so you know I think I'm guessing a similar thing happened for you as well definitely yeah Cool. So the next thing I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, what does living with freedom feel like and what set you on a path to discovering freedom? Because one of the very first things I wrote down in my book was saying no thanks to an invitation to spend time with someone I have no respect for is such freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, and it, initially, that's what my book was called was... Um, living with uh, was with freedom um it's what my um business is is sort of set up with um so and that's actually what I think my purpose is um here on this earth is to be able to help people live with freedom and that doesn't look like the same for Maria as it does for Chrissy and it it won't look the same as anyone for anyone else it is it's a it's a sense of just doing things following you know a path that most excites you it means for me early on with my um with my upbringing it meant being able to wear trousers it meant being able to choose what I wore it meant being able to not go to family functions um be able to have my hair cut like all of those things were such a sense of freedom because I hadn't had that in 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 my upbringing so my freedom now feels very different to to what it does before but that's kind of um yeah and, and just that comes from self-worth as well that I'm I, I can actually I don't have to be the same as as everybody else and and what looks like freedom to someone else may not be for them mm-hmm. um I think we, it's really easy to judge other people's outsides by our insides and and we look at people having so much fun and and yet we really have no idea yeah um yeah that that may not be our freedom so um and and being able to just accept I I think the the quote that I that I often think about is um you know of the of the little bird on the branch like he doesn't put his his faith in the branch he puts his faith in the wings and, and I think that's what living with freedom for me is, is that regardless of whether I make the wrong mistake, uh, whether I make a mistake, regardless of the outcome of this, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll be able to flap my way out of it one way or another. <laughs> and, um, I love that. And, and whether, sometimes that's making a, a, a huge freaking mess and everybody, you know, get, gets involved. And sometimes it's just gracefully moving through it. So that's living with freedom now is really being able to have faith in myself that I'm going to be able to be okay just whether I'm like you or whether I'm really different to you yeah you can trust in the outcome and your ability to navigate your way through it that's really interesting Mm. leads on the next question you know your life has had lots of twists and turns and for some would they for some that would seem like pretty scary moments you know sexual abuse bankruptcy addiction and so on yet you've over you've managed to overcome all of these and you know and to be successful in business and life and your relationships why is it that you think some people grow from trauma and some people you know sadly they die um to be honest Chrissy I think it's about um about purpose 
Um, I certainly look at, back now at those experiences and they, and yes, they may have been traumatic, but it's, it's not the actual event that creates who I am. It's how I deal with it. And it's the meaning that I put around it. Um, so certainly, you know, I've, I've counseled and, and, and helped a lot of people that can't reach a point of forgiveness with their abuser. Um, I can't, at that it defines them, the breakdown of a marriage. Um, and yet it's not the event. It's, it's very much the story I tell around it. And I think the, the healing for me has come from really seeing that is that it's, um, we get stuck in the event. I can't change the event. I can't change what I had for breakfast, mm -hmm. but I can change what it means. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for me, if I hadn't have been through those experiences, then I couldn't do the work that I have that I do now. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that's the difference is if we get stuck in the event and that we let it, um, let it define us versus just see it, it, it as what it is, which is an experience to get to know another side of us. Yeah, that's really true. Thank you. Do you feel that sometimes abusers can also be made out to be victims? I certainly felt like that at the tail end of your book, you know, once their actions are brought into the spotlight. Look, Chrissy, hurt people hurt people, yeah? <laughs> and, um, and, and I say that, like, you know, I'm, I, I'm in a room full of 20-something um, 20 angry men who all have criminal charges against them who are angry and violent and you know what behind that anger is a hurt little boy mm -hmm. and um and I think in order to abuse and in, in order to to do those actions it's got to come from hurt yourself mm -hmm. so I don't think being a victim or, or being an abuser is a, is a um, it is just experience and um, and I think hurt people hurt people and, and sometimes it's the best we know how to do um so yeah i mean there's certainly and look there's so much press and i think of um you know the george powell stuff and all that and there's so much anger created about it anger doesn't doesn't heal anything mm -hmm. yeah it, it's there's no i could go on oprah i could go on you know wherever and everyone could agree about how bad it was what was done with me that doesn't heal me yeah, the healing comes from being able to shift perspective and to reach a point of, um, of acceptance. Doesn't mean approval. I don't approve of what happened, but I accept that it has and there's nothing I can do about what happened. I just have to make the best of it now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really, yeah. it is, it's, it comes down to that forgiveness and accepting what the experience has taught you and, and, and being able to grow from it, isn't it really? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you talk about shedding weight physically while shedding weight emotionally. Do you often see this in your work as people start to let go of, you know, the stuff that they've been hanging on to, they physically start to shed weight as well? Certainly. I don't even know that they shed weight, but they certainly look more comfortable in their skin. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's <laughs> about stepping into our purpose. It, it's, it's about stepping into the shape that is Maria. Um, regardless of what size and you know there, there's a there's a place created in this world that's just for me and and I can stand at the edge of it and be get caught up in my limiting beliefs to say I don't I can't fill it but no one else can fill it 
Um, so I think that the weight certainly um, living with freedom means that I accept the weight that I am and then I don't need to carry the protection. Um, you know, birds don't really get fat because they need to fly. <laughs> <laughs> and um and and when I see that um I don't know whether that's true actually but it sounded right <laughs> but because if, if I need to have faith in my wings then I'm going to look after myself yes um yeah. and I don't need to carry that extra protection that my weight was all about just protecting the little girl yeah there was nobody going to hurt her again yeah well I have read and heard that you know um women start to put on weight in their life when they start to lose their sense of place in the world you know do you mm. have you heard of that as well yeah, yeah and I certainly know for me like in my 20s I didn't have a care in the world and I was doing all the fun stuff and working hard and playing hard and you know doing all my sport but then in my 30s when I became career focused and driven and then it was become about you know trying to get pregnant and everything else you know yes that freedom and that flapping around kind of stopped and I became very sedentary but also you know trauma does cause inflammation in your body so I've, once I let go of my trauma and I started wanting to take care of myself again you know that fat that I had been holding on to and that inflammation in my body it just kind of melted away and now I was looking at pictures of myself the other day you know because I was a size 18 and now I'm a size 8 and I don't really necessarily recognize that person in the picture because I never saw myself as that person in the picture. But when I look yeah. at myself now, I feel very comfortable in my size eight skin. Mm. <laughs> but being yeah. a size eight was an uh, impossible goal <laughs> two years yeah. ago. Do you know what I mean? But it wasn't even a goal. It's almost now I'm back to who I was truly meant to mm. be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wrote down in my book a funny thing which I think of in my mind. You talk about when you stand in front of the mirror and you say that bullshit thing to yourself. Um, did you watch Friends? <laughs> Were you a Friends fan? <laughs> no, no, I can't claim to be that. Uh, I used to love Joey Tribbiani when you'd walk into him and he'd say, how you doing? <laughs> so when I stand in front of the mirror and I'm feeling rubbish and I'm looking at my worst, I look at myself and I go, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then the little voice comes back and it says, I'm doing good, baby. How are you doing? <laughs> so that, that kept popping up for me when I was reading yeah. as well. So, And this yeah. question is kind of unscripted, but I feel the need to ask her, you know, when you told your mother about the abuse when you were 14 and she didn't do anything, how did her inaction affect you, do you think? Um, it certainly put another layer on of, um, of not trusting myself. And, and it really just confirmed that belief of, of no one's going to believe me. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I went through another few years of really questioning, um, you know, the validity of it. And, um, and certainly is it, um, yeah, that, that people are not going to believe me. Um, I also think it, it is as it's meant to be. Could I have handled um, what I needed to handle at 14 that I did at 19, like in terms of the family being against me, the um, discommunication? Yeah, but, like I needed a lot of strength when I was 19 um, and, and still do it, um, against some of the family. However, um, 
I just don't know that I was ready for that at 14. No, absolutely not. Yeah. A lot for a yeah. young girl to take on. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, really sorry you had to go through that because I guess there's a, was there loss of friendship or more loss of family connections? Um, look, loss of, and not necessarily the connection, sorry, not necessarily the physical, like it's not like I was excommunicated. I was just... Um, not spoken to about it. So I think that was the hardest thing is when people don't know what to say, the worst thing you can do is not say anything. Mm, okay. And, um, and, and I think I'm really aware of that. One of, you know, I was told I was vaccinated with a gramophone needle. Like I don't mind a yarn. I, I don't mind speaking. But the reason I do that is because for those years I couldn't mm. um, and I didn't. And for me, if, if I don't know what to say, then I'm quite happy to say to you, I don't know what to say to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, even when my dad died, I remember that it was the hardest thing is that people, I knew that they knew, but they didn't say anything. And, um, and that's it, the same with, with granddad. It's everyone knew, but no one had the courage or had the, I don't know whether it's courage. They just didn't say it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we probably haven't highlighted that it was your maternal grandfather who sexually abused you from the age of four to 14, essentially, right? So, and that was your mother's dad. And then your father very sadly passed away when you were 13, which is terrible for a child to have to, to deal with. And, um, you know, that obvious, but those two events had a massive impact in your life. Do you want to kind of share you know anything else with us before we wrap up of that time um, or what you've learned and what you've grown and no no and <sighs> I, I've learned a lot I'm still learning um like my work's not done at, at all like the the next layer I, I now have you know I have a 15 year old daughter myself and and a 13 year old and, and so there's another layer of of being the mum of of girls that are that age and um, and, and the impact of that. So I, I don't think it's ever done. I, I just keep um, I, I, I keep learning, but certainly being able to just keep open to it is is really really important. I mean, my, my father's been dead, you know, thirty six years, but um, it doesn't mean to say that I don't miss him. Mm. And um, and I'm you know I've just recently been going through some stuff and. Um, and I was, I was sharing with someone, you know, that there's still, although there's this professional woman out there and there's um, a courageous person who shares her story and all the rest of it, there's also a little girl who just wants her dad to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And um, and and that's that's the reality. I, I, I have this fantasy dad died when I was 13. And, you know, what we know about child development is that, you know, dad's sort of on the pedestal. Um, until not long after that so my dad never fell off the pedestal so he is he's still my knight in shining armor and if he was here what he wouldn't have done to granddad and what he, he would have solved all my problems whether he would have or not I don't know but um, I live with that little fantasy um, in my head as well and so so and I'm, I still I, I still find myself getting caught in that because really I lost my, lost my dad but um at the same time also lost who I thought loved me which was my grandfather mm -hmm. um, because I'd interpreted that I was that that was love mm -hmm. I was told that that was love 
um, what my granddad was doing. So the confusion for that um, 13 year old that she's um, lost both of them um, still plays out at some level today. Mm. And you, well, obviously your girls know about your work and you've written about your abuse in your book, but how open are you talking to them about what happened to you and how do you try and protect them or educate them about it? Um, I'm, I'm probably too open. <laughs> it's funny, I, I, I be, I'm the parent that I wished I had and, and it, it's not necessarily the parent that they need. <laughs> so, so I... I I, I'm, and I just like, Mom, we don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> my 28 year old says, Mom, it's my life. You don't need to know all this. But I want to know. I want you to know that I'm supported, that I'm supporting you and, and that you can come to me. Um, and, you know, I've, I've got um, my 15 year old who is, she just doesn't do emotions. It's way too over the top for her. And then I've got my 13 year old who's very emotionally. Um, attuned and, and aware so um, look it's a journey they're on their journey all I can do is, is just be me mm. you know um, I remember being abused for the first time around the age of six or seven which is the age my eldest daughter is now and I look feel like I lost my innocence around that time and I look at her now and think you know she's so innocent and she's so sweet and she's so naive to the world you know and I don't ever the kids never see the news or anything like that I kind of protect them from all the horribleness in the world because I wasn't protected from the horribleness in the world and um, you know maybe I'm also doing harm by her by doing that but you know I could I'd hate to look at her now and to think that you know her innocence will be taken away from her and that's as a fear that I live with and I'm you know on my guard mm -hmm. and it's it's stressful as well isn't it oh. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's what I say at the start of my book. Like I, I lived so many years saying, who was I meant to be? Mm. Like, who was that little four-year-old with the red hair and curls and, and all of that? Like, who was she meant to be mm -hmm. before all of this stepped in? Mm -hmm. Who could I have been? Mm -hmm. And I think um, reaching a point of freedom says I am who I'm meant to be. Mm -hmm. That little girl... Um, was meant to learn these lessons that you know and and I, I went through the learning of them um, and I am who I'm meant to be now mm -hmm. so um, and and the same as my children they are um, they're gifted to me I love them to bits and but they are on their own journey all I can do is be here um, and give them a space for them to be freely who they're born to be as well Mm. so exciting tell me about this second book when can we expect to see it <laughs> uh well look with any of my books it's it's about personal research so <laughs> I, I started it probably two years ago to be oh, honest and yeah. um I've had fits and starts of it um but it's coming up again so I will yeah it, it, it's evolving that's good. So I'm going to share all the links um, to your work after this interview. Thank you so yeah. much for writing this wonderful book, Facing Maria. I highly recommend it. You can read it in an afternoon. It is in a, a book that you can carry in your handbag. It's written in plain English for normal people. And I thank you. Thank you very much for joining me and sharing all of your stories and support with us. Thank you. Thanks, thank Chrissy, you. for being you. Oh, Cheers. love you lots. Bye. Thank you. Bye.